Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Boar Film Podcast. Today, I'm with Keith, and we're going to be discussing formative film experiences. Keith, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Frank. How about you? I'm very well, thanks, but it is very warm today. Very warm. Yeah. Oh, no, too fair. The, the weather does look lovely, um, but I can't imagine it being a delight in terms of its temperature at all. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Now, just to let everyone know, we're going to be trying something a little bit different today. This is the first attempt at a new kind of episode for the podcast. This is Formative oh, wow. Film Experiences. I have a list of 11 questions that I've sent to Keith before we started recording about, I suppose, the experiences that you have with films throughout your life, the films that mean the most to you in different circumstances. And I'm just going to run through the list. So let's start with question number one. Keith, which films defined your early childhood? Wow, first of all, I'm actually quite honoured that you're testing out this format with me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yes, I can't buckle now. Well, um, you know what? So in terms of my childhood, like I, when reading that question, I was just remembering like the memories I had of like catching a glimpse of a film here and there, because obviously I'm the youngest in my family. And obviously I'll be exposed to whatever my older siblings are like, my, my sister's the oldest and my brother's the middle child I'll just catch glimpses to whatever they'll be watching for a time so like I remember Jim Carrey being a permanent fixture of my childhood uh, so like films like Liar Liar especially like even my mum I remember when she watched it she she loved it because of the concept like a person who can't stop lying a family man a working man who cannot stop lying that made her tickle to say the least um, but yeah, like Jim Carrey, I remember his face on my TV screen growing up. And then as I matured a bit, I got close to my brother and then I got exposed to like the films he loved. So my brother's the real film buff of, of the family. And I would watch like superhero films. So like Spider-Man was a big part of my childhood, like Spider-Man 2. Yeah, Sam Raimi's Sam Raimi, Spider-Man 2 personally is perhaps the best Spider-Man film made i don't know i don't anyone could challenge me on that one but like yeah terminal is always on on screen um also like horror films like chucky and scream because that was what my sister was mainly into um that was a big part of my childhood and so yeah those those are more or less the films that i remember you know being exposed to as a young young boy um yeah quite uh, yeah i guess quite eclectic i guess for what it's worth that definitely is an interesting mix. You you were watching Chucky and Scream as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could give you an insight how my family was back then. But like, literally, I don't know, obviously, like, um, yeah, like, obviously, I remember the weekends where I could stay up later. Uh, my sister would just whack on, like, Scream. Um, because that, it was on TV, right? It was on terrestrial TV. Um, we didn't have, like, sky or anything and so whatever we caught on tv that looked vaguely vaguely interesting we'll just watch and yeah i guess i built up a tolerance to horror films pretty early and it shows now i can't really like horror films they're not really my cup of tea because i feel like it's very difficult to get them well done i think the, the time when i was exposed to the 70s exorcist i feel like i've reached my cap of fear <laughs> i guess yeah um so yeah yeah 
It's interesting that you mentioned The Exorcist because I think that is like a, a sort of coming of age, like rite of passage for a lot of people to watch The Exorcist. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know what? Like, I remember when I was younger, I don't know, I don't know if the same <laughs> goes with you, Frank, but like the 70s aesthetic when watching the film kind of creeped me out because obviously um, what they had to use back then in terms of, you know, portraying demonic figures and whatnot it was mainly like material and actually like rip like tangible things they didn't have like cgi and so like they would have to come up with these disgusting looking figures or come up with these disgusting scenarios such that yeah fear can be you know can be captured and like yeah it just really got under my skin um it was pretty disturbing um but yeah ever since then honestly like when i watch a horror film i'm just numb yeah i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing <laughs> yeah wow i completely agree with what you're saying i mean in the 70s you had to be very creative with how you're going to portray mm -hmm. violence and so on you couldn't just rely on cgi i mean like a mm -hmm. film that leaps out in my mind thinking about that is the texas chainsaw massacre oh yeah where yeah. you don't actually see a chainsaw go into anyone in the entire film it's all just suggestion but it's terrifying mm -hmm. oh definitely Oosh. So, Keith, which films would you say defined your teenage years? Right. Okay. So this is interesting. So <clears throat> obviously growing up, you know, watching or at least catching glimpses of all these films and knowing that my brother was the film guy, it weirdly enough, it kind of deterred me from taking films that seriously for much of my teen years. Um, at this point, I guess film, I saw it as like, oh, just a nice pastime, never really took it too seriously. Um, and so like, it wasn't until, I guess it wasn't until I, I did my appreciation for literature in sixth form, then I more or less revised my ideas on the films that I'd seen and like the power of storytelling in the film um, medium. Um, but I would say that I do remember like when I was like 12, 11, 12, going into the early teens, um, watching films like in early hours of the morning and being able to stay up later did make me go on a spree of like watching films casually in that sense. And I guess I have to turn to a film like A Clockwork Orange. Um, yeah, I remember, oh boy, at this point we had Sky and, um, on Sky Movies, it was playing, and obviously another 70s film. <laughs> but like, when I watched it, I was like, whoa, yeah. It, obviously, I didn't fully grasp, you know, the power of it until very later on. Um, but obviously, I was, like, astounded by, like, first of all, the, the nudity. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, wasn't really exposed to that until then. Um, obviously, the, the brutality, um, and I guess the eccentricity of, like, Alex DeLarge, I guess. And the way Kubrick filmed um, the movie did help a lot. It's very eye-catching. It's very cleverly done. And as to why he made the choice he did, which I actually wrote a review about. Go check it out if anyone wants to. Yeah, I, I think it's a good review. Um, but yeah, I think watching A Clock of Courage then, I was like, whoa. Yeah, films, they can elicit a response to me. And then from then, I guess I just started watching like random films like around the same time because it became more or less a ritual for me um, in terms of like, you know, a source of enjoyment. Um, but it wasn't until 
17, 18, when I realized, oh yeah, films, you know, they're, they're more than just, you know, <laughs> sensation dispensers. They're actually like a means of telling well thought out, well worked stories. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't until then when I realized, oh, films are pretty important. But like, I'd say the film that more or less got me, yeah, got me to understand the, well, yeah, some of the power of films would be a clockwork orange, really. Yeah, because that that film never left my mind when I watched it that time. So, yeah. Brilliant. I mean, like for me growing up, A Clockwork Orange is one of those films that's almost whispered about. You just, you hear your parents oh. go, oh, that controversial film from the 70s. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched that film for the first time, maybe when I was about 17 or so. Oh, and yeah. I, I mean, what I, you, you, meant, you mentioned the nudity and the violence. That's the stuff that stands out to you, I think, the first time that you see it. Yeah. But like, it's, yeah. the, it's the grim sense of humour that I think really keeps me coming back to it. All right. The fact that when Alex has the threesome, it plays oh, is it the William oh, Tell overture over it, and it's yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah, like and having researched like why that was done, it's very yeah, it's very clever because obviously in the book, apparently, correct me if I'm wrong, if you read it or anyone else listening, um, the the girl that Alex were involved were involved with were like underage, and yeah. it was a lot more sinister. Yeah. And Kubrick purposely changed that. And I think he'd done this, or at least to me, when watching the film, you know, properly, it makes you somewhat, I know this will be tough to hear, somewhat sympathize with him in terms of his road to redemption, because it begs the question like, oh, at which point is someone punished enough, right? Because after he went through what he went through, obviously, the treatment was suspect, but the idea was that he would be corrected for the wrongs he, he made and he tried to be different, but it seemed like people keep, you know, keep putting the hammer down on him. And I think allowing his crimes to be not that reprehensible because in that scene, it was clear that everyone was enjoying themselves, you know, it was nothing, yeah, it was nothing like sinister or nefarious. So like, yeah, those decisions like that, I felt like helped bring up those sorts of questions concerning crime and punishment, really. Um, yeah, but definitely that was hilarious. Like, oh, also like the last scene where Alex was like in the hospital and he's getting fed by this, this senior official somewhat and his mouth is like, that's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, like a baby. <laughs> yeah, like it's humorous. Yeah, it's, it's very charming, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I could talk about Clockwork Orange all day. I've just written a dissertation on it in The Exorcist. Oh, that's yeah. brilliant! Because <laughs> I love them. <laughs> but like in terms of that, the, the sort of the group sex scene towards the beginning of Clockwork Orange, I agree with you. I think that scene's necessary because the film opens with Alex committing this absolute litany of horrors, and then immediately oh, after yeah. that, you see that he's actually having quite an innocent bit of fun with some other yeah. people, and it's consensual, and it's they're all enjoying it. So you see that he's not pure evil. There is something of a, a fun side to him, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. And that scene at the end where the Minister of the Interior is feeding him the food. I, yeah. love, I love that because as he's feeding him, he's telling Alex this story about what's going to happen yeah. to him. So he's feeding him information as well as food. It's a great little yeah. technique. And yeah, definitely. And my goodness, it definitely puts like, I guess a lot of things in perspective in terms of like official reporting 
and covering up, you know, misjustice, right? Um, injustice rather. Um, yeah, and it's it's funny, I feel like it's kind of it's kind of sweet. Well, not sweet, but it makes sense that um at the end, throughout everything that he's been through, his core, I guess his core character still remains. Although let's say he goes through, you know, the PR business, like I guess the ultimate revenge, I guess you would say, to his mismanager is the fact that, you know what, he's gonna come out the same guy. <laughs> so yeah, it's almost like the time was wasted from start to finish. Um, he was cured all right. <laughs> <laughs> so Keith, onto the third question. Which yes. film are you e always eager to watch with your friends? What's like a classic group watch film for you? Wow. I mean, you know what? To be fair, when it comes to watching films, I'm not that fussy. And, and when it comes to watching films with friends, even more so. So like, yeah, going back to my teen years, I remember like my mates, because they're big into like Marvel and that, that whole, you know, MCU stuff. And like, we would watch like Avengers and cinema and stuff like that. And like those type of relatively easier films to watch. Um, and so if I were to pick a film, I guess I'll go along those lines. And you know what? I'll probably pick an absurdist film and the absurdist film that I watched this year for the first time, at least this academic year for the first time, that I found super hilarious <laughs> is The Other Guys. I don't know if you've heard of it. The other, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to watch a film with a group of people, be The Other Guys because it's so absurd. It's unbelievable. And you know what? It has a cast where it'll make you scratch your head, be like, why on earth is the likes of Mark Wahlberg, The Rock, Samuel Jackson agreed to this? Even Mendes, what's happening? But I feel like it's one of those um, films in, in an actor's career is like, you know what, you're gonna get paid a lot. And the script's kind of ridiculous. We might as well have fun. And literally, honestly, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's so funny. Yeah, and um, yeah. Obviously, it's not the type of film I would go to watch by myself, but in a group, seeing the ridiculous set pieces, yeah, I'll, I'll say the other guys. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic choice. I, I grew up with four <laughs> older siblings, and I remember um, my dad and my brothers, we watched that film together. And like the stuff that sticks out of it for me that just has you absolutely just creasing oh. on the floor laughing, it's the bit where... Uh, it's a slight spoiler alert, so if you don't want to hear it, go ahead. It's in the first, oh. <laughs> the first like fifteen minutes of the film where Samuel L. Jackson and The Rock yes. jump off yes. the building, <laughs> aim for the bushes. That is, oh my gosh, that has to be one. Yeah, that was so hilarious because it plays like Foo Fighters by him, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there goes my hero and you see just two bald-headed guys in black just scrambling in the air the camera's lingering on way too long and then they just splat and it's just oh unbelievable that is so funny yeah That's when i saw that i couldn't stop laughing honestly it's absolutely oh my fantastic. goodness <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic they have no reason to jump off the building they just literally do it it's brilliant literally i mean yeah, oh, that film, honestly. <laughs> that and the opening um, chase where they crash through the bus is just... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, gee. <laughs> oh. Oh. 
the thing I always love about the other guys as well is that Steve Coogan's in it, Alan Partridge. Oh yeah, <laughs> honestly, like what is this cast? I'm, I do wonder how they came together on this, to be honest, like it's one of those, I guess everyone who's into film will know it's like their favorite actor in like a film that's so ridiculous. And you're like, how, how on earth did they end up here? Like, I guess what springs to mind, oh, off the bat, I guess from my childhood would be like George Clooney deciding to be Batman and Batman and Robin. You're like, really, buddy? What? Yeah. You're like, what? It's like, I guess so. I mean, I guess when the money's good, the money's good, right? Um, yeah, honestly. Uh, Batman and Robin could get its own episode of the podcast. That's it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's another classic. <laughs> right. Now on to the fourth question. Keith, mm. which underrated film do you love and want more people to know about? Ooh, you know what? If you had to ask me this six months ago, I would comfortably say The Truman Show. Mm. But but now, obviously, obviously, I haven't wrote about it for the ball. Again, go check it out if you wish. I feel like it's a good, a good movie review. Um, but also, a mate of mine tagged me on a Twitter post um, concerning TikTok, right? And they had like this series of like underrated films that people, yeah, should watch more or people lie about claiming to watch. And they mentioned the Truman Show. So I think now at this point is that it's not as underrated as it once was. But still, I will mention the Truman Show because I felt like, yeah, again, I remember watching it when I was like nine. Yeah, like a sunny afternoon, like laying down randomly and obviously flicking through channels and film four, I landed on film four, and then I just saw, I think I came across the scene where um, Jim Carrey and his wife were just driving around like in circles where, where Truman was starting to realize that his life was a lie. He's like, <laughs> yeah, proving to her that like, yeah, the traffic only comes when I'm driving this road at this time. Um, and like, I remember being astounded by how colorful the film looked. Um, and I guess from there, it's always had a part in my mind. And from then, like when I rewatched it, yeah, I began to realize like, honestly, it's, it's a fantastic 90s film. Um, like it definitely foreshadowed the reality TV craze we see today and its themes of self-actualization and perception being reality is getting more and more salient as we go through this increasingly absurd world. Um, and I think like I mentioned in the review, like I feel like films like Matrix that came out a year after kind of, I feel like hijacked the potential glory that film got because Matrix is more of a, this is a sexier film, I guess. And, you know, the meme of red pill, blue pill is like, it's, it's, it's encased in gold now. Um, but I feel like the Truman Show in its, in, in its ordinary setting conveys the exact same, I feel like the same idea and perhaps a lot more powerfully um, to me anyway, that's just my taste. Um, more people into sci-fi and stuff. So I guess that's why the Matrix would be a higher terms of if you had to compare the two films um, yeah i think that's a brilliant answer i love the truman show uh peter weir yeah. the director is is absolutely brilliant uh he did films like uh witness which is uh harrison ford has to live with the amish which is really oh, interesting wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a that's a really good film it's very underrated but um the truman show is fantastic i watched that when i turned about I think uh, maybe 13 or 14. I got that. Oh, yeah. 
picked that up in HMV. I was just like, what's this? Jim Carrey's in a TV? This looks interesting. And I watch yeah. it. Oh, this is wonderful. Yeah, because I feel like at that point, like Jim Carrey was on form. Like he was hot. Like, oh, he was in Batman Forever. Obviously mentioned Liar Liar. Like everyone, like Jim, Jim Carrey was blockbuster. And I feel like in terms of his acting and acting performances, I felt like the absurdity that he portrayed a lot of his characters in up to that point in his career completely worked in the Truman Show because who wouldn't go insane knowing that the world's a lie from the day they were born? That's intense. And so when you see Truman just spiraling, you're like, wow, yeah, this 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 works. Yeah, I feel for him. And also, yeah, Jim Carrey, especially like a scene with his friend where, oh, that's so sad. Like, obviously he was... Co- confiding in his mate about like being that his world's alive or that his dad's not really dead and having him being gaslit like that is very like that seems very very painful um and I feel like Jim Carrey delivered that very well um yeah obviously Eternal Sunshine will be many people's like oh top Jim Carrey performances but like at that point of his career I feel like the Truman Show was his best performance i'd say yeah absolutely i think that is my favorite jim carrey film and it's got a fantastic mm. last line as well what else is on oh yeah oh honestly yeah it's, it's beautiful yeah absolutely you, you often see on like um what at that reddit thread is it like cine shots or whatever the shot of him against the blue sky wall yeah it's gorgeous oh yeah mm. now keith onto the fifth question what was yeah. your single greatest film watching experience? Ooh, okay. This well, when seeing that question, I felt like okay, it has to be when I was at the cinema. And what I remembered was actually, oh yeah, it'll be perhaps watching Dunkirk. So Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk um, with my brother at midnight because yeah, first of all, I I know I don't know if you've been to many midnight viewings, but like. I, I kind of like how empty it is and it's like, I don't know, it's just a lot more intimate knowing that, oh, every, yeah, like literally everyone's gone to bed now and we're, we're just here, the few of us just experiencing, you know, hopefully a great film. <laughs> and, um, and to be fair, the film didn't disappoint in my opinion. And also what made it doubly impressive is that given that the dialogue was scant, or at least in retrospect, the sound design was literally, you know, the primary focus it seemed for the film so in the cinema like literally I remember right at the beginning when the protagonist was just walking through the streets and then gunshots went off and it was one of the most intense sounds I've experienced in a cinema it literally jolted me I was like oh my goodness wow and like generally the sound design's like beautiful throughout the film and also the reason why I picked this film out in particular is because Obviously, my brother's a massive Christopher Nolan fan. And obviously, Dunkirk, it's a film about part in history. So it's kind of like two, yeah, two of us just like meeting in the middle, it seems. And we're like, yeah, let's go watch this film. And yeah, and it, it was great. Um, obviously, I don't buy the fact that in the heat of battle, one would not speak. Um, but but I feel like, yeah, generally speaking, it was, it was, it was a nice film. And like my brother really enjoyed it, I feel like. Um, it compelled him to like research like how Dunkirk unfolded historically. So 
I mean, yeah, what more do you want from a historical film? Um, but yeah, I'd say definitely that experience watching it at midnight was 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 definitely a highlight. Oh yeah, I mean the tension of that film is fantastic. The bit mm. where is it uh, Tom Hardy's character is trapped in the plane that's sinking into the sea, and he's got to kind of get out of his seat and smash the window. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, yeah. Fantastic cast in that. Kenneth Branagh, Mark Rylance. I mean, who would have thought Harry Styles would be that good? Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. When he came on screen, my brother's like, what's going on? <laughs> but like, yeah, to be honest, he did his job, you know. You know, I remember one line he said. He was like, you're a Jerry, aren't you? That's the one line I remember. Yeah, and he delivered that well. Yeah, I can, I'm convinced he went to war. <laughs> yeah oh man yeah honestly yeah and obviously yeah to be fair i don't know about you do you find it endearing seeing like a director with like an obvious like pool of of actors that they love working with because like i remember killian murphy was is in the film too and he's like he's basically been with nolan all the way more or less from like yeah i remember from he was a Batman Begins and then literally like so many more films after that yeah oh yeah I mean absolutely like it's great to see directors that have like a really good relationship with their actors over years and years I mean like I got that feeling with like a lot of Robert Altman films from the 70s when he's working with again and again but I think the one that most people identify with there is probably Scorsese with De Niro oh yeah (laughs) like when you watch Irishman it's like ah all the boys are back together now literally Brilliant. Now, Keith, what's yeah. your favorite movie soundtrack? Ooh, now, to be fair, like I said, I'm not the biggest movie buff. And so, like, in terms of, ooh, taking in the score of films, I'm kind of hit or miss. But I do remember watching a film, to be fair, a very good film um, on my spare time again, kind of like, like, yeah, when I was like 13, 14. And then noticing the soundtrack and be like, whoa, yeah, this is good. And it'll have to be American Beauty. Yeah. And the reason why is because I remember one scene, they played the Who's the Seeker. And obviously I was getting into the Who at this point. And I was like, wow, yeah, this is a legit film. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. But like other artists include like the Eels, like the, their track Cancer for the Cure. And that Elliot Smith on the soundtrack too. Um, so like yeah, our, to be fair, American Beauty, from what I remember of it, is a is a great film. Very artsy though. I remember at that point I was like, oh, this is a bit of a slow burner, and definitely some a film that I should watch now uh, with new eyes and you know new understanding of subtlety. Um, but like yeah, I, when hearing that soundtrack, I was like, yeah, I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. I'd have to point to American Beauty, really. Mm. That's a great choice. I mean, the the Thomas Newman original music for the film is fantastic as well. Mm. He he did the music for like a Shawshank Redemption series of unfortunate. Oh really? Oh yeah. wow. Oh fair enough. Yeah. You mentioned uh, hearing the Seeker by the Who in it. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard that in a film. There's um there's like a Bill Maher atheist documentary thing that I watched as a kid, and it opens with the Seeker, and I was like, Ooh, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I looked on the chairs, I looked on the tables, trying to find the key to 50 million fables. They call me the seeker. Yeah, it makes sense why they'll 
use it for a documentary about faith yes <laughs> brilliant well, that is a really good choice the music for american beauty is absolutely fantastic yeah obviously difficult film to watch now considering what we know about the league. oh oh my goodness yeah and yeah too far i might go on to the film later but the usual suspects too yeah i'll, I'll probably mention that later on but yeah that's another difficult film yeah. to watch yeah and la confidential which i used to absolutely uh, yeah mm. but still that doesn't diminish the fact that it does have a great soundtrack, <coughs> soundtrack to oh yeah fantastic now on to the next one number seven keith is there one character in particular that you strongly identified with in any film mm. see now this is interesting because um when it comes to watching films i tend to yeah, it's weird. I guess in comparison to TV shows, I guess I in the knowledge that like, oh, a film has, you know, like what, on average two hours to more or less get me immersed in the world of wherever these characters are involved in, I tend to be like very difficult to, to empathize with someone, I guess. Yeah, because with TV series are a lot longer, you know, a lot longer time subplots can develop and whatnot. But I guess in terms of like identifying with a character, it'll be like concerning their situation, right? Or at least I'll take into consideration their situation rather than their character, oddly enough. Um, so like one film, to be fair, that I remembered that my friend recommended me like a few years ago that I watched again around when I was 14, 15, um, was Boyhood. I don't know if you, you remember the film that basically like, yeah, it was, to be fair, the commitment to, to making that film is impressive. 12 years with the same cast. Um, that is brilliant. But like, yeah, I guess Mason from Boyhood, the main character in that, you know, is basically demonstrating how life, yeah, how life could just take you one way or the other and you have to more or less make do. And I guess that's, that's one of the things that I guess growing up, and upon reflection, given like how my life's turn, turned out at this point and how it may turn out is that, yeah, you have to be prepared to, you know, deal with whatever life throws at you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, honestly, because obviously life is so volatile, subject to change, and it could even end without you knowing it. And so like, I guess knowing that the film essentially is charting a boy's development 12 years, um that i guess made me inherently i guess identify with him in his journey of basically finding his place wherever he was at in that point in life um maybe a close second would be Truman burbank in the fact that he wanted to find out the truth of whatever he was experiencing perhaps that that idea of like you know having a desire to know what on earth is going on, that is one thing I feel like is identifiable. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say Mason from Boyhood, if I were to put my finger on it, but that's just because the film itself, um, more or less is dealing with growing up and, you know, many people grow up, you hope. <laughs> Again, that's a really lovely choice. I, th I think pretty much anyone that watches Boyhood that grew up a along the same kind of time as the main character yeah. identifies with it to some extent. I mean, because it's basically impossible not to. 
You know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's some surprise that not many more films take that approach, I guess, that, that level of patience to be like, you know what? Yeah, this film will be will come out, you know, in 10 years time. And, you know, because I feel like that will allow you to deal with things or thieves like a lot more, oh, a lot more like well-roundedly, I guess, a lot more detailed. Yeah, because obviously, there's many times, both with TV and film, admittedly, that, oh, they feel like, oh, we need to deal with this theme, let's say the coming of age, right? And what they'll do is just like have a situation where someone's just insecure about, let's say a part of their appearance and whatnot, and be like, oh, well, we'll just negotiate that by the end. And you get is like, yeah, that's their development. <laughs> that's their development of how, how they are and stuff like that. Um, I feel like taking the time out to be like, you know what? Yeah, like seeing how one responds to situations as they age, such that it legitimizes, you know, you know how how things actually unfold. Because you can go into the other direction and be like, okay, let's just put this person through a series of trials and short successions, and then yeah, from from let's say minute thirty and then minute seventy five, how they the two divergent reactions to what they're facing shows their growth. Um, like obviously it can be executed well, but I feel like it's very difficult and hasn't been executed as well as Boyhood, Boyhood, I think, anyway. Um, yeah. Oh, I, again, Boyhood is one of those films I could talk about forever. I really do love it. I love that a lot of the film is conversations with his father. You get to see his relationship oh, with yeah. progress. Yeah. And in terms of music, it's fantastic. The use of music to evoke a specific year in his growing up. So like, I remember that when he's, he's, he's like a teenager and he's got a girlfriend and he's going off to see a friend at university, it plays somebody that I used to know, which is just oh, like peak yeah. 2011. <laughs> yeah, that, wow, that is a bit, yeah, that is a bit scary. <laughs> yeah, and then that, that final scene where he goes to university and he's out mm. on that walk and it does that needle drop of Deep Blue by Arcade Fire. That's fantastic. Oh. That's <laughs> No, I, it's, it's a nice film. I, I'm surprised I only watched it for once, though. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, as you're saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, it's a really emotional film, Boyhood. It gets to you. It really got to me when I first saw it. Brilliant. Now, on to the eighth question. Keith, which film changed the way that you viewed cinema? Wow. The big well. one. <laughs> So I guess we've mentioned this film briefly, but I guess we'll have to tackle it. I actually have a poster of it on my wall because of how, I guess, yeah, how it more or less opened my eyes to how great a film can be. And that is The Usual Suspect. Yeah. Um, funny thing, <laughs> I actually first heard of it in a peep show episode because <laughs> Because Mark must have been talking to these two, yeah, these two, these two women they met and their dad. And then he's like, yeah, I, I like this film. And, and I like the director who ever made The Usual Suspects. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's that film? And then, yeah, I watched it. And boy, honestly, you know what? I'd say that is the one film I'll give someone to watch, like, without any, any knowledge. If they're like, oh, Give me a film to watch, Keith. I'll be like, 
yeah, yeah, watch that one because especially the ending, yeah, honestly, I feel like I I do I do kind of lament how I can no longer feel that sense of surprise ever again watching the film knowing how it unfolds and actually I actually considered writing about it but like I don't know if it'll be yeah I don't know if it'll be too heavy I don't know yeah <laughs> I don't know if it'll be too heavy for people to read but like no the usual suspects you know obviously obviously the actors involved like I haven't done some research like apparently the actors involved weren't that big like uh, for for Spacey, I guess yeah. Like in terms of Spacey, I, I I'm not sure. Would I say this was his breakout '95 because Seven came out the same year too. Um, but like yeah, like everyone involved weren't that big, and so I guess it's a situation where like considering how the film unfolded, you're like whoa, this is impressive. I guess there's a situation where it's like someone had a great idea, and like okay, they got the cast they 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 needed. And they just decided to make a great film. Um, obviously, at this point, I'm not too drawn to the, you know, the the whole heist plot, I guess, because I feel like the ideas of identity and the nature of evil that surface from that film are way more interesting to discuss, and doubly so given the controversy concerning both, you know. Kevin Spacey and the director Brian Singer. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say I'd say The Usual Suspects. Yeah, I think The Usual Suspects again is a fantastic choice. That's another one of the ones that I watched when I was about fourteen or fifteen, and it just had a huge impact on me. And it's good to see that it had an impact on other people. Oh, definitely. Like, oh man, I just. <laughs> No, because I don't want to go on about the ending because anyone who, yeah, because I don't want to disappoint people who end up watching it. Um, but like, oh, I just love the editing at the end, you know, the the layering of dialogue and Agent Kuyo is just like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, it's, I can't, I can't say more about it. But like, yeah, no, it's it's brilliant. Honestly, yeah, it's brilliant. And obviously the infamous light-up scene, <laughs> knowing that it was more or less an outtake they decided to keep in, like, that, that's, that's charming. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Um, oh. Yeah. Absolutely, the falling coffee cup in slow motion is the... Yeah, oh my goodness. Oh, honestly, yeah, if, yeah. Honestly, if I find someone who hasn't watched that, just, like, just watch it and don't say anything, literally. Yeah, just follow it right, right to the end. Because the yeah, the acting before was too fair. Spacey, yeah, Spacey was brilliant. He, he is, yeah, he is brilliant in that. Two Faced Brilliant Seven too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, it's just a shame. God. <laughs> yeah. no, that's all right. I mean, I remember when I was at secondary school, me and my friend Luke were massive fans of American Beauty and mm. The Usual Suspects. We watched them a lot. We were huge fans of those films. I mean, um, it, again, if you can take like a, a positive from that film that hasn't aged badly, it just proves that Benicio del Toro is the coolest man on earth. That film, <laughs> every moment with him, he's just the coolest man. Yeah, I mean... nothing phases him. <laughs> nothing phases him. No, nothing at all, man. Oh, yeah. 
All the other characters are sweating and being faced with death, and he just looks like he's half asleep. He's just the coolest. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, so suave. Yeah, geez. <laughs> he's definitely looking suave in the poster. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> nice. Mm. Well, there you go. That's a great choice. That is a really impactful film. If you see it at a certain age, Usual Suspects. That's great. Yeah. Oh. And I do really love the fact that um, Peep Show was the <laughs> was the course of you watching it. Yeah, honestly, I was like, yeah, because obviously I, I, I love Peep Show. I was like, ah, Usual Suspects. I wonder why Mark Corrigan, a character, would like a film like that. And you know what? Mark Corrigan has decent taste. Yeah. <laughs> I think he says that just before Jeremy eats the dog. It's that. Yes. <laughs> That, that's a great episode. That's one of my favorite yeah. ever. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, honestly. Now for question nine. Keith, what was the last great film that you saw? Most, you know, the most recent great one. Uh, hmm. Okay, I had to think about this. I guess, again, it'll be one of my last cinema experiences before the lockdown and stuff. And to be fair, you know what? Yeah, I watched it with my brother too. Um, I I really enjoyed Knives Out. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, I remember how colorful the film looked. Like, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I feel like, yeah, I feel like if you if you didn't watch it, so like kind of messed up because like it's just like whoa, <laughs> the colors just pop out at you, and the settings seem a lot more pronounced. And obviously the way they stylized it. I guess for I guess for a third of the film in terms of like interviewing, like the interviews with the different family members and the the main story is a nice touch, kind of office esque. Um, and then yeah, I guess I kind of liked seeing Daniel Craig in a different different role. I guess you know not the stoic machine he usually is at um, James Bond. Like he actually could be kind of kind of funny. <laughs> I guess yeah, especially like near the end yeah when he's just piecing things all together and he's just sounding so ridiculous but that's true nonetheless um obviously i don't want to spoil it stuff so, um but like yeah and also i won't lie i really rate the ending for its use of um virginia that track off of exile on main street the rolling stones album sweet virginia yeah that was a lovely a lovely song to end out on yeah mm. i think that with that film the first time I saw it for the first 25 or so minutes, I was like, okay, I'm with it. I'm with it. What's going on here? Then there's the moment where Craig's character is interrogating Anna de Armas and he flips the coin and you get her flashback. And I thought, oh, I've got to watch all of this now. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, it's just so lovely to watch, really. I mean, yeah. And I guess the cast as well is, is nice to see, like, a cast of talented actors like obviously yeah Chris Evans is another one who obviously at this point he's so Captain America that seeing him in a different type of role is refreshing yeah the sleazy young family member <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's like yeah it's, it's, it's very very cool because obviously as Captain America he's like the straight guy he's like the rule book guy <laughs> yeah um, I like that that film kind of knows that it's a little bit silly. It doesn't try and play it yeah. for like a high drama. It's just like, let's do a really fun little enjoyable whodunit. And I think that's what plays to its advantage, yeah. Like, 
Oh, what was that? I can't remember some of the scenes right right now. But like, definitely again, going back to what I was talking about, like Daniel Craig's character trying to piece things together. That was ridiculous. That was a ridiculous scene. And also, oh, this scene. <laughs> when Chris said, I don't know if this will be a spoiler though. I mean, uh, but obviously the, the, the knife scene with Chris Evans' character, if you remember, yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> that was just like, uh-oh, yeah, plan foiled. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely didn't take itself too seriously. And I think the way that the film looked played into that because a child could get enticed to watch it because of how colorful it was. Um, and so, yeah. It kind of reminds me a bit of Ocean's Eleven in that it's a big ensemble cast. It's yeah. not pretending it's high art and it's just got a relentless pace. You just with it. Every oh, yeah. 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 No, yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's a fair comparison. Mm. And more Benoit Blanc adventures to come, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, as you say, Daniel Craig, fantastic in it. I love the accent he uses. Yeah. <laughs> the bit where Chris Evans calls him um, CSI KFC is a Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it, it's, it's a lovely film yeah it's one of my favorite films of recent years i think it's a great trailer. oh that's fair i mean yeah without a doubt mm. well there you have it now on to question number 10 keith do you have a single favorite movie moment a scene a line a Ooh. moment what's your favorite okay to be fair, we kind of mentioned that other guy scene, which we both know is a classic scene. But like another one that I remembered <laughs> was through my yeah, through growing up, and um, it's, it's from Spider Man Three, of course. Wow, that Spider Man, yes, the two thousand seven Sam was it Sam Raimi still maybe so, uh, yeah yeah, and it has to be the dance. Well, I say I say it's the dance scene. <laughs> It has to be the dancing. So, obviously, I mean, oh, when my brother and I watched that, we're like, what is going on? Like, yeah, they tried their best to make Peter Parker the bad guy and what they came up with, among any things, including not saying please for more milk, is that, yeah, he should dance around wearing black eyeliner and have a, have a fringe. And with James Brown's... <laughs> With the James Brown tune in the background, it's just amazing. I remember, you know, yeah, that scene. Oh my god, that is brilliant. Oh wow, yeah, you know, Peter Parker turned funky is always bad, and yeah, that has to be one of the most hilarious movie scenes I watched when I was seven yeah six seven years old <laughs> that that scene is just an absolute anomaly in the spider-man series and it's Literally. i'm so glad it's there i'm so glad yeah oh my goodness like the film like spider-man frees a mess but from that mess there was something beautiful and that's a scene told mcguire trying his best to look sinister and that's what the crew came up with it was like yeah that's what a bad guy does. Just dance in the middle of the street to impress women. <laughs> there's, 
there's, he's so horrible in that scene as well because he's with Ben <laughs> Stacy by that point and he's kind of dancing yeah. in Kirsten Dunst's face to kind of show off the fact that he's moved on from her. Literally, it's like, so that's like the least nefarious thing anyone can do. It's kind of pathetic. And I think that's why it's so funny. It's like, it oddly, <laughs> it oddly suits, you know, it oddly suits Peter Parker because, yeah, like, try to remember for Spider-Man 1, like, he was this, this nervous, you know, bumbling guy, clumsy. <clears throat> and so, yeah, what would Peter Parker, yeah, think of that Peter Parker from, like, <laughs> that first Spider-Man. If you were to ask him, what does a bad guy do? He may be like, yeah, that's a good idea. Not saying, please, you know, dancing. <laughs> to the point where people are uncomfortable. Yeah, that's what you'll come up with, I'm sure. Um, yeah, that is incredible, honestly. <laughs> Again, I'm going to mention my friend Luke from school. All he would have to do is walk up to me and start snapping his fingers and go, yes. now take on this. <laughs> honestly, man. Oh, that is, a, yeah, that seems, again, it's, it's a stuff of legend. <laughs> That scene is just its own meme. I mean, they created a meme with that scene. That was their. That must have been their intention, and they succeeded because it's great. Oh, it has to be because it's too. Yeah, because again, you have to think of the conversation. I mean, yeah, honestly, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I do yeah, like that. That film's message is essentially: if the venom parasite thing gets you, it makes you more <laughs> successful in dating. <laughs> <laughs> it from this like nerd who can't talk to anyone to flirting yeah. with everyone and it works everyone's in like a yeah. lot of people are into it yeah that's a bit weird i mean if anything it should be like yeah i guess the real hero is the venom juice <laughs> the venom juice, the real hero. <laughs> oh i mean like spider-man 3 has the dance scene spider-man mm. 2 almost one-ups it for meme value with the it's pizza time, but oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh, too far. I completely forgot about that scene. It's weird because obviously, ah, oh, because like the main things I remember of Spider-Man 2 is Dr. Octopus. And yeah. like, yeah, and that intense final battle. Um, yeah. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Another thing with Spider-Man 3, I just remembered how many well, how many villains I say, because God knows. I mean, Peter Parker was almost the villain, I guess, um, were in the film. So what, was there Sandman? Um, was ha was Harry Green Goblin a villain too? And yeah, yeah. Then, whoa, like, that is intense. And like, like we said, Spider-Man's a bit of a villain. So like, literally at one point, there were like four villains. <laughs> Great cinema. Great cinema. Unreal, yeah. <laughs> wow. Gosh. Spider-Man 3, whenever anyone mentions it, I'm like, oh yeah, the one that's not particularly good of the three. And then now you now you mention it, the dance scene is, is like, it's a total meme, but it's really enjoyable. And the stuff with yeah. Sandman, where Sandman first transforms, that scene's actually really good. Oh yeah, yeah, that is brilliant, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I remember being very impressed when watching that, yeah. Mm. Then there's the big twist about Sandman and uh, Spider-Man's uncle. Oh boy. Uh, God, <laughs> like if it weren't convoluted enough, have this, guys. Do you like the film now? <laughs> Do you like how layered it is? <laughs> Isn't there a whole bit in it where 
James Franco and Kirsten Dunst are making pancakes and then they kiss. Yeah, that was weird because obviously, oh yeah, because obviously that was Harry, that was Harry's bit of revenge, right? Um, because he feels like Spider-Man killed his dad, um, despite how despite how bad and reprehensible the Green Goblin was in number one. Um, yeah, that was strange. I mean, yeah, wow. That film, yeah, the more we talk about it, the more of a mess that film actually is. Wow, God, there's too many, yeah, there's too many things because like literally you mentioned Gwen Stacy, like I completely forgot she was even involved. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, there you go. Spider-Man 3, a modern classic deserving of a critical reappraisal, especially for the yes. team. Honestly. To end it up, I've got the final question, mm. Keith. You know what's coming. What's your oh, favourite film? Damn, my favourite film. Wow. Ooh, favourite film. See, this is an interesting one. Um, obviously, this will be subject to change. Um, but like, ooh, hmm. <sighs> to be fair, I I don't know. I feel un I feel unsure saying it, but like I guess at the moment, yeah, I can see myself saying that. Yeah, this is my favorite film. So you know, we mentioned it briefly, but I'll, I'll say seven. I'd say seven. Currently, I'd say yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd say seven um, would be my favorite film currently. David Fincher, yeah, um, because first of all, like I remember rewatching it relatively recently and I know it's like the chemistry between Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt is, is brilliant you know the seasoned vet with the with the eager understudy and had some funny scenes uh, to be fair the film the film itself can be pretty grim and dark but like I remember one scene <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit crass but like Brad Pitt was just yeah he was basically just <laughs> mimicking being bent over a and, and and yeah, <laughs> bent over and stuff. Um, that was that was pretty that was pretty hilarious given the context. And like I feel like again, Kevin Spacey's performance. Yeah, obviously, like we mentioned, the disappointment of how he is. But like his performance in that as as John John Doe, right? Um, I guess that's character name. Yeah, is is brilliant. Even though it's like the last twenty minutes of the film, and I felt like that worked given the fact that. Yeah, it's kind of like we mentioned earlier, but like kind of showing, not telling of that. Like we see the victims, we see the trail of victims in, in the wake. And then it's literally up to him, really, up to John Doe to give himself up. And that scene is brilliant, you know, just in the middle of like this, 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 this town, all it seems, this, this the police department, he just gives himself up. And the conversation, to be fair, um, from there to the desert-ish bit was, yeah, I think it's one of my favorite scenes in cinema, I guess, yeah? Because through that, it more or less talked about, yeah, you know, it did deal with themes of like, of course, good and evil, but like virtu virtuousness and like non-virtuous, I guess, and like whether someone, although this will sound pretty dark, but like, whether someone who's wasting their way committing sins like, let's say, lust and gluttony, you know, whether they have the right to, you know, 
of the right to lead the same life or be judged on the same plane as someone who's a moral citizen, well, that was very dark. Um, it definitely makes you wonder like, oh, you know, <clears throat> how, how are we spending our time? You know, is it to our benefit? Are we actually changing the world? Are we changing people's lives? Are we making an impact on others? And obviously killing them is not a solution, but like it made you, yeah, like throughout the conversation, you're like, oh, whoa, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And obviously like shows like Dexter, with Michael Seal kind of deal with similar things of like whether bad people have a right to life more or less because the serial killer kills bad people. But like, yeah, at that moment, I felt like, oh, it definitely made me think about things a lot more in terms of how, how I lead my own life, I guess. And obviously the the end, yeah, like every great film must have a great ending. And I feel like I guess it's a meme now, the box. I, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil the film. But like, yeah, that ending is brilliant because it's like two people who ought to be like the pillars of society or meant to set the standard for everyone else. They fall for the same trap that everyone else does. And it's kind of, it's a beautiful, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful way to wrap up a film really. Because obviously, throughout especially Brad Pitt's character he's going around as if he's a lot better better than the people who have died even as well as this John Doe character I guess um but yeah it seems like no one's immune to you know committing committing sin or doing bad things I guess but but obviously yeah like in terms of a piece of cinema generally like it hits all the right markers you know beautifully shot wonderfully acted well written but like those things I remember I'm like mm, yeah it's definitely making me think about you know how I lead my life um <laughs> even though it's very dark and grim <laughs> the film is yeah um, oh seven is overwhelmingly bleak that's what my memory of it yeah to, yeah <laughs> that's, that's, uh, yeah <laughs> that's not to speak against it like I completely respect your you know your opinion on it uh, that is interesting that take that it makes you think about how you're living your life and so on yeah um yeah it's it's definitely i mean i feel like it's a film everyone should you know should watch because obviously yeah like there would be many people who are not a fan of those type of films you know very dark grim films but like i feel like it's worth you know considering some of the the ideas that are posed in that film, as well as the fact that it's it's a well-made film. Yeah, it, it is, it's not, yeah. So like, definitely, I feel like it's worth a watch at least once. Um, yeah, definitely. I think my favorite scenes in it are the very beginning and the very end, because it opens with you looking through John Doe's diary of how he's gonna do all the killings with, mm. I think it's a remix of Closer by Nine Inch Nails playing over it. Oh. <laughs> That's fantastic, that little bit. Oh, and also, they didn't, yeah, I remember. So they didn't, yeah, they didn't show who the actor was going to play John Doe in the opening credits as well. That's clever, yeah. So I guess, was Seven released after the usual stuff? I don't know, but like, yeah, no, that's brilliant. See, again, it's another, yeah, when watching it for the first time, you're like, oh, there's that, literally that that under underbelly of mystery that 
we're more or less indulging in without knowing it. And it seems like we're really are like more or less following the detectives as the movie unfolds. And so that's another reason why it's a well, well-made film. So uh, yeah, um, yeah. That's a good way of using the promotional material around the film to hide a twist. Exactly, exactly. And you can tell, so that's the thing, you can tell it's well thought out. Yeah, uh, although it can be bleak, can be dark, but it's it's a piece of art that was well thought out and it took effort to make and the results personally, you know, definitely warranted all of that and more, you know, yeah. Um, I definitely feel it's definitely one of my favorite Fincher films. To be fair, Gone Girls, I felt it was very good when I watched it, <clears throat> but I, I'd say, I'd say seven is my favorite. Obviously, everyone likes Fight Club and stuff, but <laughs> like, yeah, I'm all, yeah, seven, seven's my, seven's my Fincher film. Nice. Social yeah. Network's really good as well. Oh, yeah, I remember watching that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember the final line in seven, it's Morgan Freeman, and he's quoting Hemingway, and he says, Hemingway said, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for, I believe, in the second part. Oh, it's a great quote. Is, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a brilliant film. <laughs> Especially for the note the film ends on, which is a real, <laughs> a real bleak one. <laughs> but like that scene, that it's an amazing. It's, it's, it, there's a reason why it's been memed. It's such an amazing scene. Especially the way it's shot as well. Like just a close up of of, of Brad Pitt's face. It's brilliant that the anguish, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, there you go. Obviously, it's not wonderful that still experience the anguish, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there you have it. I think we've asked all the questions there, so that's done. Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you very much for having me and for testing out this new format. Wow, I feel yes, I feel privileged, Frank. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. Would you like to uh, plug any of your social media before we leave? Oh, wow. I mean, well, I guess, I guess I'll plug my, my, my section of the ball. Why not? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm the TV editor, of course, and on Instagram with the ball TV. Um, obviously, if you have any articles, you can send it into TV at the um, via Gmail, any other use of email services. Um, obviously, the Facebook group is the Board TV or the Board TV Writers. You can ask to join. Um, in terms of my personal accounts, um, my Instagram is underscore keith.mull underscore. Um, that's my personal Instagram. I usually just promote all the Board articles that I write. So, yeah, I'm just the Board through and through, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic well i just want to say thank you again to keith for coming on the show i think it's been a really great episode thank you to everyone for listening there should be another episode this time next week hope you all stay safe and enjoy the weather thank you goodbye <laughs>